0: Okay, parents, I'm going to start this morning by pushing your buttons. (sighs) Let me ask you how you feel about the phrase, yeah, but. Let me just tell you, as a parent, as a former manager, business leader, I hate that phrase. Yeah, but you tell somebody to do something. You tell somebody why you're doing something. You explain something very thoroughly, and they look at you and they say, Yeah, but my blood pressure is rising as we speak. Just think about it. Oh, man. I hate that. I mean, I hate it. You know what I'm saying? Anybody... You're like, I get it, but no, don't do that. <sighs> usually, usually, I won't say always, and my kids can testify. I try to be pretty clear in my direction. I even try to be pretty clear in my reasoning. This is why we're doing this. This is why I need you to do this. This is why I want you to stop that. This is why we're eating this. Whatever. Yeah, but, and they don't do it much. i got good kids. My guy. So, but, I think it is human nature, fallen human nature, to develop a yeah, but attitude. That's one T. We want to be contrary. We want to argue. We want to reason. We want to tell a thousand reasons why we shouldn't do what we're told to do. And we want to be genuine. We want to find the right reasons. Yeah, but this. Yeah, but that. Yeah, but you said before. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I hate yeah, but. And I'm going to ask you and I'm going to challenge you this morning with what we're going to look at today. I think our natural tendency is to read what we're about to read and to listen to what we're about to listen to and say, yeah, but. Now listen, guys. I have overcomplicated this passage for most of the week. Actually, leading up to it, I was kind of afraid of it, if I'm going to be honest with you. And I thought this passage was really hard. And you know what? It's not. This is not hard. And I'll tell you why as we progress. And I would ask you to curb your yeah buts. all right? We're going to read Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 today. And we are going to make it through all seven verses by the sovereignty and grace of God. I, I, I thought about stopping after one verse, but I thought we're going to press on. We're going to press on. So if you would stand, we'll read the Word of God together. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible um, So you can look up there, but if you have your Bibles, open them up. Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7. The Word of God for the people of God. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment." For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed." Let's pray. God, You have set up a very specific system in our world. You have ordained the concept of authority. And God, you have made this a very big deal. I pray that we would be convicted this morning, but not convicted to the point of despair, but convicted to the point of repentance so that we might live according to the power of your Spirit, according to the written letter of your Word, that we might be Christians, that we might be followers of Jesus Christ in word, and in deed. We need your help to understand. We need your help to live it out. So we ask your Holy Spirit to do those very things now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So while I was reading that, did you think, yeah, but? Yeah, but... Hmm. Let's start in verse 1. Let every person... Be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That is breathtaking. you like, what's the big deal? Let's see. Jeanette's breath is taken away. <sighs> Too early to be yawning, okay? We got. <laughs> Okay, so let's do a quick context check here before we jump into the actual text for today. Remember, last week we looked at 18 commands. I made it through 18 commands. I mean, come on, recognize my authority, uh, my authority. Um, <laughs> if you're laughing, you're a bad person. Okay, <laughs> if you don't, if you're not laughing, you're good. You're fine. Uh, we looked at 18 commands. At the end of uh, Romans 12, uh, Romans 12, 9 through 21. And that whole passage was about letting love be genuine and how that looks in everyday living for those who follow Jesus. And, and it was quite a list, wasn't it? Quite overwhelming when you look at that list. We talked about emotions. We talked about serving and praying and hospitality. We prayed about blessing those who curse you, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And then at the end of the list, we came to this. Verses 19-21, through Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now we've got to keep this in mind. Again, I think this is an unfortunate chapter division because this flows directly into what we're talking about today. I mean directly into it. We have to understand last week and especially the end there if we're going to understand today's passage in full. Don't avenge yourself. Leave vengeance for God since it's His... Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good by feeding and giving drink to your hungry and thirsty enemy. And then let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. We have to understand that these absolute statements that we looked at last week Don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Those are absolute statements. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We have to understand that those absolute statements that we looked at last week have a connection to the God of the universe who has authority to demand them. Now we've already talked about authority quite a bit this morning through the scripture that was read, the songs that we sang. But if we don't understand authority, we don't understand the gravity of the commands from last week and we don't understand this passage this week because it's all about authority. Also, we may not trust that those who wrong us will get their due if we don't understand authority. And let me tell you folks, there are a lot of what I would call mega themes in Scripture things that over the course of the whole Bible you see something repeated a lot. You see it as being a big deal. Grace, of course, is a big deal. Atonement, authority is a big deal in Scripture. And I do believe that in our culture, in our context that we live in, 21st century America, we have lost the concept of authority. So what is authority? Now, I don't expect you to be able to read this. But here's the definition. (laughs) Woo! Uh, Exousia, which sounds like something Stan Lee would say, right? No, that's excelsior. Exousia, 103 occurrences in the New Testament. Now, think about that for a second. 27 books, 103 occurrences. That's a lot. That's that's repeated a lot. Now, I'm going to skim through this. Power of choice, liberty of doing as one pleases. Now who has all authority? Matthew 28, right? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So who has the power of choice? Who has the liberty of doing as he pleases? Only Christ. Hmm. Leave or permission, physical and mental power, the ability or strength with which one is endued, which he either possesses or exercises. The power of authority, influence, and of right, privilege. The power of rule or government, the power of him whose will and commands must be submitted to by others and obeyed. That's a pretty big one there. Universally, authority over mankind, specifically the power of judicial decisions, of authority to manage domestic affairs a thing subject to authority or rule, jurisdiction, one who possesses authority, a ruler, a human magistrate, we'll get into that in a few minutes, the leading and one powerful among created beings superior to man, spiritual potentates, which is my favorite word in the definition, a sign of the husband's authority over his wife, what? The veil with which proprietary required a... Required a woman, it says. I I didn't type that. I copied and pasted it. Required a woman to cover herself. The sign of regal authority, a crown. Now, you're going, okay, that's way too too much information. Let me boil it down for you, okay? If we have to synthesize it to bring it so that we can get a full-orbed view of what authority is, if you look at the definition, you see words like power, strength, right, rule, leading, powerful, potentates, crown... The basic idea is that authority is used to designate that someone has power either inherently or given to them and that power gives them a position over others. The simplest definition I've ever heard of authority is right and might. Somebody in authority has the right to tell you what to do and they have the might to enforce the penalty if you don't do it. Right and might. So keep that. That's a pretty, that's a good, simple whoosh, condens, con, concentration of that big definition right and might. Authority is right and might. Exousia, and it literally means out of my being. That's what the word exousia means. So it flows out from somebody to others. Authority is always exercised over people. And I, it makes us squirm to think about, doesn't it? Well, nobody's got authority over me. America! We'll dump your tea in the bay and dress up like Indians or something to show you that you don't have authority over us. Someone in authority has the right to rule others and the might to rule over those same people. So what do we do with this information? As it relates to our verse today, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now both mentions in this verse of the word authority, which is authorities and authority. Same word, that same Greek word, exousia. So let every person, and that means every person. This is not just addressed to believers. This part here, let every person means let every person. Let every person be subject to or put themselves under The governing authorities. The the thought pattern behind be subject to is military. Line up to receive your orders. That's what be subject to means. So let every person be subject to. Put themselves under the governing authorities. Let every person put themselves under the authority of those that govern. Now that makes sense, right? Hmm. Now... In my mind, I don't know if you just is a word, but this is the you just most comprehensive biggest statement in the passage. Listen, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now did you catch that? No authority except from God. None. None. Zero. If there is authority in your life, individual, that authority exudes from, is established by God. <laughs> yeah, <Your> but, right? <laughs> Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, And Jesus said to them, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority is from God. All authority is instituted by God and all authority has been given to Jesus. All. Now what does all mean? I think it means all. We love that word back in Romans 8.28, right? Right? We know that God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. We love the word all there. All things. Good things, bad things, hard things, easy things, slick things, rough things. All things, yes. All authority. Well, but it doesn't mean all, right? Yep, it means all. And authority can be in a marriage, a family, a job, a school. A nation. And the type that's highlighted in our passage today in Romans is the governing authorities or the law of the land. Local government, city government, county government, state government, federal government. What? All authority. Police, judges, legislators, governors, presidents. You name it. They have all been instituted by God. So as Christians, this makes our reaction to these authorities and even our attitude toward these authorities a matter of significant spiritual importance. Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. But believers, disciples of Jesus, should be subject to them for the prime reason that by doing so, they are actually being subject to God. Now did you hear what I just said? Obeying the laws of the land, being subject to the rulers of the land, is the same as obeying and being subject to God Himself. And that is wildly important for us to understand. Going the speed limit is important because God established authorities who determined that there should be a speed limit. And by honoring the limit they set, I honor God. Now don't roll your eyes and say, yeah, but to me. And don't say, well, God don't care about the speed limit because I would argue with that from this passage. Because the authority used to set that speed limit was not man's authority. It was God's authority because all authority belongs to God. There is no authority except from God. None. Zero. Never. Not ever. And you may say, well, it's stupid to have a 25 mile per hour speed limit on this stretch of road. And I'm going to have to ride my brake all the way down the hill. And logically, you may be right. But spiritually, the more important truth is that of authority. Do you comprehend? Do you understand? Do you respect and obey the God-given and God-wrought authority behind the law that set up the speed limit? Listen to me, brothers and sisters. This is a huge deal. Huge. Any mindset that thinks it knows better than the authorities is a mindset of pride. And it is anti-Christ. Yes, it is that big of a deal. I'm not here to harp on speed limits today. It's not my quest. What I am trying to get drilled through my head and your head is the fact that authority is a big deal. A huge deal. We are at a clear disadvantage here in America when it comes to this. We have such a libertarian, my rights, born out of rebellion against unfair taxation, having a right to life, liberty, and happiness mindset that we cannot see this clearly. It's foggy. It's distorted. It feels wrong to us. We want to justify our actions and clarify our rights in the midst of it all. But here in Romans 13.1, the major concept is that authority is absolute. And it is absolutely from God Himself. No qualifications. Did you see any qualifications in Romans 13.1? <clears throat> what if they're bad? What if it doesn't make sense? What if it wrinkles my clothes? I have to wear my seatbelt. Any qualifications there? Zero. This is absolute And some of you have already shut me out. Some of you are done with me for the rest of the day. I know know it's happening. It's your choice. Romans 13.2 Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. You want to resist the authorities in your life? Here Paul says that if you do, you resist what God has appointed. Now we may feel justified or right in our resisting, but is that what we want? Do we want to justify ourselves before God? Good luck. We spent 11 chapters showing that no man can justify himself before God. We spent 20 months showing that it is God and God alone who justifies men in His presence. So you want to justify yourself and give Him the reasons why you shouldn't wear your seatbelt or go the speed limit or pay your taxes? Good luck. Good luck. Us not being to be able to justify ourselves is the whole point of this whole Roman letter. Plain and simple, if you resist the authorities, the governing people in your life, you resist God's plan, God's way of doing things. And if you do that, then what? You will incur judgment. Judgment from whom? Let's look at verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Wow. Let me tell you what. That's sobering stuff right there. Those two verses are very sobering. Loaded. Absolutely loaded with truth and implications stemming from that truth. If you resist the God-appointed authorities in your life, particularly the governing authorities, you will incur judgment. And where does that judgment come from? It comes from the governing authorities. Right? because Paul says these rulers are a terror a a terror to good not to good conduct but to bad conduct. And I hear you. Yeah, but there are there are authorities that stay with me, okay? Paul says these rulers are a terror to bad conduct. The fear of punishment from rulers should deter people from doing bad things. Rulers, the governing authorities, are a terror to bad conduct. You want to not fear those in authority? Then do what is good, Paul says, and these governing authorities will approve and not punish you. Well, I was only going four miles over the speed limit. I'm going to stop on the speed limit thing, by the way. I'm done with it. You want to not fear the authorities? You want to not get a knot in your throat when you... Hop up over the hill and you see a policeman sitting by the side of the road? Do what's good. Oh no, I'm doing the speed limit. I said I was done with that. Sorry. (laughs) Do what is good, Paul says, and these governing authorities will approve and not punish you. And then verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now stop just a minute. Read that again. Now, Take your eyes, look at that, and read it again. Let it go in your eye gate before I read it again. Read it. Hmm. He, the governing authority, is God's servant for your good. He, the governing authority is in place in order to approve of good behavior. But if you do wrong, then what? Then be afraid. Remember terror back in verse 3? Huh? For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. (laughs) If you do wrong, be afraid because, and here is a major truth, listen to me, he, the governing authority, does not bear the sword in vain. Whoa! Now what did I just say? It may not sound like much at first, but the thought of the sword as judgment goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God stationed cherubim to guard the tree of life after Adam and Eve's sin. What did the cherubim have to keep these folks out? He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life." These angels got swords, y'all. Flaming swords. God said, we've got to keep man away from the tree of life because if they partake of it now, they're going to live forever. And they're going to live forever in sin. And we don't want that. So in order to legislate, in order to govern, in order to discipline, sword. He had a flaming sword. Here and so many times in the Bible the sword is a sign of God's authority, God's judgment. And in Romans thirteen four, who bears that sword? Holy cow! The governing authority who has been instituted by God to carry out wrath on God's behalf to those who willfully, selfishly disobey the laws and statutes put in place by these governing authorities. And he does not bear that sword in vain or for no reason or no purpose. It will swing. It will discipline. It will cut off the head. That's the thought pattern here. Paul knows a little something about this because in a few years, his head's going to be on the chopping block and the sword's going to come down and cut his head off. That ain't fair. No. The governing authorities bear that sword. And he doesn't bear it in vain, for he, the governing authority, is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now remember last week, who does vengeance belong to? At the end of Romans 12? It belongs to God. Who's carrying out that wrath here? The governing authority. God is through the governing authorities. Now I want you to think about that for a second. All authority is mine, Jesus says. The governing authorities have authority. Vengeance is mine, God says. And the governing authorities carry out that vengeance upon the wrongdoer. <laughs> And that's not just the final judgment, y'all. Because the civil authorities, the governing authorities, actually share in God's authority in order to serve God by avenging on God's behalf against those who do wrong. Now this should make us shudder. God grants it to earthly, human, fallen authorities to dole out vengeance on His behalf to those who do wrong. The law is one way that God repays. The law is one way that God gets revenge on wrongdoers. And ultimately, in the final judgment, he'll have ultimate judgment and punishment and vengeance. But for now, he uses people to enforce that law and pour out that vengeance. Great day, y'all. He, the governing authority, the president, the governor, the police officer, does not bear the sword in vain. He is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Yeah, but! 13.5 Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. We have a therefore statement, which we see that all that has been said means we should be in subjection to human authority to avoid God's wrath. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath because he's saying if you're not in subjection, you will incur God's wrath upon yourself. So that's the therefore part of it. But, th- but that's not all. Not just so that you don't incur God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. It's, it's like what we looked at last week. There's an internal component of this, an unseen component, an emotional component, if you will, to this. And it's probably more important than the external component. How's your heart toward the governing authorities? Well, I'll, I'll, I, won't, I won't do bad things because I don't want to get in trouble. That's fine, but it's not enough. Let me ask you a question. Can you break the law even if no one will ever know it? Should you? If you're not going to incur any wrath from the governing authority, should you break the law? No. No. Can you break the law if no one will ever know? My answer is I hope not. Because we know, you know, going back to early childhood, God knows. Santa Claus is watching you. Mm-mm. Of course God knows that you broke the law, but you should be sensitive enough to your own conscience that you can't not be subject to the governing authorities because it pains you to know that even private disrespect or disobedience is still wrong. We should be self-governed as much or probably even more than being governed by fear of punishment. It's a little word we call integrity. Oneness, integration, being the same no matter who is around God gave us a conscience and that conscience is to be governed by His Word, by a respect for Him and His law, whether anyone else ever knows it or not. Want to get even more real? Now let's do a heart check. For because of this, verse 6, you also pay taxes. Yeah, but for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So... (laughs) We obey the governing authorities to avoid punishment. We obey for conscience sake and we also give them our money. What? <laughs> Only two things certain, right? Death and taxes. Anybody ever grumble about taxes? <clears throat> but here in the Bible, under the authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God commands us to pay taxes. Well, I don't have to. No, you don't have to. But you may incur wrath. You definitely have pricked your conscience and you have deliberately disobeyed God. Is that what you want? It's up to you. You've got free will. Hmm. Hmm. God commands us to pay taxes. For because of this, that phrase there, links the thought directly back to the conscience thing. And then we see that paying taxes, listen to me, enables the God-appointed authorities, here called ministers, to attend to governing, which is equivalent to doing God's will. You ever thought about that? Your taxes help the government minister God's will to those under their authority. Don't look at me like that. Read your Bible, people. Look at what it says. Your taxes, your hard-earned, dutifully paid taxes help the government to do God's will. You ever been somewhere where they don't pay taxes? You want to pay taxes. Trust me. 13.7, last verse for today. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And you thought taxes were bad? (laughs) Mm. Yes, you should pay taxes to those to whom they are due. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Sounds a lot like Jesus. Let me read a quick passage out of Matthew 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Him in His words. We're going to trick God. And they sent their disciples to Him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion. And they were right. For you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, (laughs) what do you think? Is it lawful? to pay taxes to Caesar or not. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax." And they brought him into Denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then He said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away." They left him and went away a lot. A lot. So, should we pay taxes, Jesus? Whose picture's on the coin? Caesar's. Then give it to him. It's his. He's the governing authority. So, give it to him. Jesus made it clear that if Caesar wants his coins with his picture on them, then give them to him. So, pay your taxes if they're due. Okay, that's fine, but that's not all. Not just taxes, not just revenue. If you owe somebody some money, you should pay them what you owe them. But taxes, revenue, and then it says, not just taxes and revenue, but what else did it say? Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And who's he talking about in the context? He is talking about the governing authorities. We are so quick to not only disrespect those in authority but rather to belittle them and elevate ourselves above them. Not only do we not honor them, we debase them and mock them in our political comics and in our jokes. Well, we have the freedom to do that here in America. First Amendment! You'll see that in Romans 13. And, and the last time I checked, the Bible was a much higher authority in a Christian's life than the Declaration of Independence or the U.S. Constitution. So if the Bible says to respect and honor the governing authorities, that is what we as followers of Jesus should do. We respect them and we honor them unequivocally, without hesitation or protest. And I know your heads are exploding with yeah buts. I know they are. Mine has been all week long. But God, really? What a... Sounds something like this. I know it says that all authority is from God, but... or Yeah, I know it says rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but... And we could work through the verses and probably object to a lot more of what is said, couldn't we? And maybe, maybe rightfully so. But here's what I want to ask you this morning. Is that what we should do? Are we looking for loopholes in the Scripture so that we can disobey it? I hope not. Are you looking to find reasons to not obey Romans 13, 1 through 7? Is that what you want, Christian? Really? Adopted child of God our Father? Brother or sister of Jesus who willingly subjected Himself to the authorities of His day to the point of wrongful death on a Roman cross? Holy Spirit-endowed readers of and subscribers to the truth of biblical doctrine? Is that what we really should do? Focus on the yeah buts? hope not. Because that's what a liberal mindset does. I know it says this, but my situation is different. Our situation is different. God have mercy on us all if that's our mindset. I will clearly say this. There is a time to disobey the governing authorities. And that time is when they either command you to do something that is forbidden by Scripture or if they forbid you to do something commanded by Scripture. We see it in the midwives that were commanded to kill the Hebrew babies in Exodus. They didn't do it. We see it in Daniel who was told not to pray to any god besides the king. We see it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who wouldn't bow to the golden image of the king. Again, when civil authorities command what Scripture forbids or forbid what Scripture commands, we disobey. If a law comes down that says not to spank your children, we disobey. Because the Scripture tells us to spank our children. If a law comes down that says I have to perform a homosexual marriage, I disobey. If I'm in the medical field and a law comes down that says I must perform an abortion, I disobey because the Scripture is clear. I don't do those things. But how do we disobey? Acts chapter 4 gives us a template what this looks like. Bear with me. It's a little lengthy passage, but the whole story has to be heard. Now they here are the governing the Jewish ruling authorities. Peter and John told a man to get up and walk who had been lame. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want that on my tombstone, by the way. I recognize He's been with Jesus. Peter and John back, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John said, hell no, we won't go. No. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now listen. Now listen, that's not all. When they were released, they went to their friends, the church, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, Oh God, poor us! Woe is us! We're being persecuted! And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Wow. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and punish them. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Listen. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You cannot speak in Jesus' name anymore. Whether it's right for us to obey you or God, you have to decide because we can't help but speak in this name. Go back to the church. This is what they said. Let's pray. God, give us boldness to speak in the midst of persecution. God, give us boldness to preach your gospel and stretch out your hand to do mighty things in our midst so that they might see and be ashamed is basically what they're saying. There is a time to disobey. But that's not what our passage is dealing with today. So what do we do? What about the rest of the times in your life when you're not being told to not speak in Jesus' name? When you're driving through Sofia, West Virginia. Leicester, West Virginia. Mercy. What do we do then? Because that's where most of us spend our time, right? That's where most of our lives are lived. We're not before the authorities trying to give an account for why we're speaking in Jesus' name most of the time. That's what our passage is dealing with today. How should we then live? I got three application points and we're done. Three application points. Shut up, man up, and look up. Let me expand on those a little bit. First one is shut up. And I mean that. What a shut up means? It means shut up. Why do I say that? Because we run our mouths far too much. Whether in person or on social media, where we are endowed with the unspiritual gift of cyber courage behind the safety of our glowing screens and clicking keyboards. Listen to me, church. We are not to be those who verbally disrespect our governmental leaders. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, but. No. Uh uh-uh. I just lived through eight years of Barack Obama. And that was a trial for me. I didn't do too good. You may not like the man in the White House today, but shut up. It's not our place as Christians to verbally disrespect those in authority. Am I saying that we have to just go along to get along? No. No. But what is your heart really all about? Is it about giving respect to those whom respect is due and honor to whom honor is due? Or is it about, well, he's just stupid? Really? Really, Christian? Whether it's George W. Bush or Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or Donald Trump. We are not those who should be verbally disrespecting our governmental leaders. We can oppose their policies. There's a lot we can do, but we walk around. That's not Christian. You say, well, prove it. Okay. Okay. Titus 3, 1-2. through 2, Remind them, Christians, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Shut up. And I'm speaking to myself, y'all. I need to learn to shut up. It's quiet in here. Speak evil of no one. What about those in places of governing authority? Honor to whom honor is due, respect to whom respect is due. Especially with our mouths. Shut up. Point two, man up. caught a little flack in the car this morning for using man instead of man or woman or girl or using something. It's it's, it's an idiom, okay? Anybody ever play basketball and you go to -to man-to-man defense? They say, man up. Find your man and guard him. Do your part. Nobody else can cover your man but you. So when we're talking about Honoring and respecting and obeying and keeping civil law, man up. Do your part. Be the best citizen that you can be. Keep the law. When you're alone, when you're with other people, when nobody else sees, keep the law. Be a good citizen. Do your part. Is there anything oppressive about most of the laws that are in place in the state of West Virginia? Spiritually oppressive? Anything that would cause you to sin besides cussing about it? I mean really. Is there anything sinful about going to I won't say speed limit. Um, is there anything sinful about building a building to code? Well, it's stupid. They don't know what I need. I can get this done. As he wraps black tape around everything. That means code, right? There's nothing oppressive about getting a sticker on your car because the authority said to get a sticker on your car. So just do it. Right? This isn't hard. Now if they tell you not to speak in Jesus' name, disobey. Disobey. But if they tell you to have the lights on your license plate working, get them working. 369, Advanced Auto Parts, part number 1169 AA. Five years there. <laughs> Saw a lot of people walking in with tickets for their license plate lights being out. Fix it. First Timothy. Two, one through three. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, oh, for kings, and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Listen, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Man up, do your part, keep the law in your heart too. Not just externally. Externally is a given, hopefully. But Focus in here. Shut up, man up, and finally, look up. Because you know what you're doing ultimately? You're worshiping. You're serving God with your obedience. You're serving God with a right heart. You're serving God with your honor, with your respect, with your obedience. You're worshiping God. We have to understand that all of this is to be done to glorify God even in the midst of earthly governments. Don read part of Daniel today. Four times in the book of Daniel, 417, 425, 432, and 521, this phrase pops up. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Four times that phrase is used. 4.17 goes a little bit further with it. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the Holy One to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Can I get an amen? (laughs) (laughs) How's your heart? Yeah, but... The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will and sets over it, the kingdom of men, the lowliest of men. Who sets up the person who governs? God does. Well, we're a constitutional republic. We voted our own. You're funny. If you don't believe that God sets the rulers in place because it says here that He does it and it says He even sets over it the lowliest of God rules the kingdom of men and gives those kingdoms to whomever he will, even setting over these kingdoms the lowliest of men. God does that. God chooses who governs. But what about those who govern who are not rewarders of good and punishers of bad? Listen to me. God set them up too. Don't seem right, does it? It ain't fair. God set up even bad rulers. And they will give an account to how they have used His sword. Do we trust that? Vengeance is whose? It's God's. He will repay. Leave that to Him. You're not going to fix it. You're not going to make every government right in the world. So shut up, man up, look up, and do what you're supposed to do. 1 Peter 2, 11-17. This is awesome. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as set by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Boy, that sounds familiar. And this is Peter, not Paul. We done. For this is the will of God. Now, what, what did I just say? For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Listen. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. That same emperor would hang Peter upside down on a cross and kill him. That same emperor would cut Paul's head off. And they both said, show them honor. Why? Why? you fear God. And because you want to live in such a way that people see your good behavior and give glory to God. And that when people speak evil of you, they go, not that guy. Mm -mm. He's he's one of them Christians and he lives right. I've seen it time and time and time and time again. That guy's right with the Lord and I see it in his everyday life. That thing you're saying, you're accusing him of, I don't believe it for a second. That's the way that we're supposed to live. Because that brings glory to God. This is not hard. It's not hard. It's plain. That's that's easy. All authority is from God. Those who are in authority are put there by God. And they're put there by God to be a minister of His vengeance and His reward for those who do evil and for those who do good. So if you want to see good, if you want to be good, honor them, respect them, shut your mouth about them. Do your part and worship God with your disobedience, your respect, and your honor. That's not hard. Yeah, but... Sorry, I got no yeah, buts for you. We are without excuse. We are bound by the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God to help us carry that word out. No ifs, ands, or buts. Let's pray. God, one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the meantime, we live in a crooked and perverse generation. We live in the midst of a corrupt government. We live where not everything is as it should be. But God, that in no way gives us an excuse to not be as we should be. God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to disobey when we have to. But even more than that, God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength and the love to obey when we can. And we do need your help for that. We truly do. So help us, God, so that you might get glory in us and through us as we honor those who deserve honor, who you say deserve honor, as we obey those who you've put in authority over us. We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. And amen would we'll just stand for a minute. Now let me just say two after the benediction. We're going to have Miss Janetta come up and we're going to pray for her as she prepares to leave. But let me uh, let me proclaim this benediction over us before that happens. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, Believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And now to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Janetta, would you come on up?